Today we're starting a new three-week series called Awakening. And if you see the subtitle up there, can you read what that says? It says, Revival is here. And we spent the last few weeks here at True Life Church talking about what Jesus has done for us. And now it's time for us to let that really sink in and I'll do something about it. You say, well, why? Why do we have to let it sink in? Why do we have to do something about it? I was comfortable last week and I just, I came and I went and I, I listened and didn't have to do anything about it. Why? why? Why do we need to do something about it? Because if this resurrection we say we believe happened is so important, and if this resurrection has been offered to us by Jesus, this chance at a new life in Him, if all of this is true, then we have the joy and also the responsibility, the obligation to share it. I'll give you a warning. I might be on I almost brought like this little thing of dub dove soap this morning, small little soapbox so I could just stand on it for a minute. So I, warning, we're going to be getting real, some harsh truths uh, this morning. The reason we're still talking about this, about this, over 2,000 years later, is that a week after Jesus had died and the tomb was found empty, people didn't shut up about it. They couldn't stay quiet about it. Despite the mocking, Despite living in underground catacombs, despite being hunted for, despite being crucified, beheaded, burned alive, killed by arrows, and given his live bait for animals in the Colosseum, despite all of this, they couldn't stay quiet about the message of hope found in Jesus Christ. The persecution of the early church endured to pass down this message to us. And what they endured is unimaginable to us today. Our biggest hurdle to spreading the gospel, to sharing true life through Jesus Christ with someone else, is that today maybe we might look weird. Our hindrances may be that we don't want to get out of our seat to help someone else who is clean or needs help cleaning spilled coffee at Starbucks and use that as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. That'd be weird, right? Our reservations might be that we are too lazy to write, Jesus loves you on a receipt. Or leave an invite card at the places we eat out at. Our excuses might be that we, because our schools don't allow regular prayer, they simply just then must not allow conversations to talk about Jesus. Or maybe it just takes us too much work to drag that little mouse over and click a button on Facebook to invite them to church. Right? It's complicated. It's hard. Now, do you realize what the early church would have done today in America with the rights and the privileges and the religious freedoms that we have? They would have gone to town. It would have been a cakewalk for them to spread the gospel. No one would be hunting them down, torturing them, or killing them to spread the same message that we have been given today. You know the honest truth? We as Christians today across America, not being specific at y'all, but across America, I think you'd agree with me on this, we as Christians today have gotten lazy. We have become more concerned with how we would look mentioning our faith than actually trying to show Jesus to someone else. We have become doormats in our culture that when states or where we can't publicly pray, well, okay, we can't pray there anymore. Instead of, no, I'm going to pray there. You try and stop me. I can't shut up about it because of the resurrection that has happened in my life through Jesus Christ. We've been labeled as bigots sometimes, just 
by simply saying we're Christians. And we haven't spoken up about the difference between states' rights and sovereign morality. We have stopped spreading His name at the sake of our image. You all with me so far? Okay. Uh, it's not for a rise, but I, this was, I was right, and I'm like, Lord, help me, because I'm in this boat just with everybody else. We have stopped spreading His name at the sake of our image. We've left these doors and doors across churches across the country. Last week was it for us. Hooray, Easter! Nothing. We have stopped spreading His name at the sake of our image. And I'm sure there are countless people across America today fervently praying for revival, and they're doing nothing about it. So that's why we're starting this series today right after Easter, because there is a time for revival, and it's now. There is a time to not shut up about the gift that we have been given through Jesus Christ. And that time is now. It's time for our church to take the next steps forward in faith. It's time for our families to be strengthened in the Word. It's time for our schools and communities to know Jesus in a real way. It's time for the lost, the lonely, and the hurting to hear the good news, maybe for the first time. We assume that everyone knows the story of Jesus, and we are wrong. At our Easter egg hunt, the Saturday before last, I got in a conversation with someone else who had a conversation with someone who, who did not know Jesus, never heard the story before, first time. You don't have to be a missionary in Zimbabwe or Madagascar or pick a, pick a country when the need is right here in our own backyards. We take it for granted. We assume. You know what that means. We are the people to help affect this change. We are here in Melbourne. Not because we have some special ability, not because of some random luck, not because of any talents that you or I possess that have set us apart from every other church in town. No, we are the people to affect this change simply because we know Jesus. We have the relationship with the Savior. And we're going to share that with the community. We can't stay quiet. Knowing Jesus as our Savior is also our call to action. To share how great He is, how good He is, how merciful He is, how loving He is, how transformational He can be in our lives. And that's why we started off with that video, Awake, O Sleeper. Because Easter is not over. Not for you and I. We have a responsibility. It might be for the world. They might have come into churches across the nation and, and been a part of this and then left with no change. We have to do something about that. We cannot stay quiet about the Jesus we say we know. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Luke chapter 9, verse 28 through 36. I'm actually going to read the first line, and then we're going to bounce back. New thing today, if you don't have your Bibles in front of you, we have two options. We have some out in the fellowship, or you're at, or you can read it on screen. It's going to be up on screen with us here this morning. And some people are like, score, yes. So I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, which is going to be what's on screen. Now, a lot of times the Sunday after Easter is often preached called Ascension Sunday. And a lot of people teach on how Jesus went up into the heaven after his 40 days of ministry, after he was already dead and resurrection. 
Uh, we're not preaching about that today. We're going to actually be going back in time to talk about uh, the transfiguration. And that might be a title you might not know. Transfiguration means a change, a difference made. A great way to think about it, a transfiguration is simply the cocoon and a butterfly comes out. Transfiguration. Things are, are different. All right. So Luke chapter 9, verse 28. I'm going to read this first line, and then we're going to bounce back so this makes sense. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this. Well, I love starting in these verses because, like, well, what's this? What, what did Jesus say? So I'm actually going to bounce back now here, and this will be on screen as well. This is still chapter 9, verse 18, a few verses before. It says this, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowd say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. So it could be Elijah, another prophet that could be from long ago, Moses brought back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And pause here for a second. If you ever wonder why Jesus told people not to tell things, because it, it wasn't the time for that yet. You can read, there's a lot more here in the book of Luke and the other Gospels before Jesus gets to the point where the Pharisees hate him enough to talk to Judas, to betray him, to have him then put up before Pontius Pilate and crucified. Jesus had a lot more ministry to do, and he knew if they said something about, I'm the Messiah right now, people would have flipped out because he had a lot more to do before he was ready to be the sacrifice for us. Picking up in verse 22, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, here's what he's talking about, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. He's laid it out for them. What will happen a long time after this? Verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, on the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. That's what he said. So now verse 28 will hopefully make a little bit of sense for us. Verse 28. After eight day, eight, about eight days after Jesus said this, we now know what the this is so we can move forward, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. It's almost like well, you, when Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? Well, you might be Elijah, or you might be a prophet of old, like, like Moses. Elijah and Moses now appear as if almost just to like politely throw it in their faces, like, okay, just to prove to you, yeah, I'm not these guys, because they're here. I, I'm not Elijah, I'm not Moses, I am who I say I am, the Son of God. So two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, and they spoke about his departure which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem, again, foreshadowing the crucifixion. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. But when they became fully awake, 
Awake, O sleeper, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Apparently, he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and now told no one at that time what they had seen. Now the reason we backtracked to Luke chapter 9 verse 18 and read all the way up to verse 20 is that these two events are connected. The why Jesus said this, these two events Luke wanted us to write, wanted us to know as he wrote this that these two things are connected. Well, what could be possibly connected about these things days apart? What could be connected about whoever gains the world why when he loses his soul? What could be connected about whoever wants to follow me needs to pick up his cross daily? What could be connected with that? And then the transfiguration. A few things we can learn to tie this together for us. First of all, Jesus took friends along for the journey. If you read there in the beginning, of uh, right around uh, tw- verse 20, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. Now, John and James were both close enough to Jesus that they wanted to sit at his right side, the place of honor in heaven. Peter, John, and James also went farther along with Jesus when Jesus was praying in in the Garden of of Gethsemane before he was betrayed. And if you remember, they kept falling asleep. Again, these guys falling asleep. What is with these guys? Peter and John were also at the tomb right after the resurrection. And these guys, these Peter, James, and John, they were closer to Jesus than the other disciples. Notice it's Jesus who invites them along for the journey. He wants them to see what he calls normal, meeting with the saints, praying, and being in the cloud with the Holy Spirit, with God. And if you're trying to do this Christ-following thing alone, you're missing the point. If you're trying to follow Jesus by yourself, you're missing a lot of the point. Jesus regularly spent time out with sinners and tax collectors, sure, the lowest of the low. But you know what? He also balanced that out with spending time with his friends of faith. And if we're going to have an awakening, this revival in our community and in our lives and in the lives around us for God, you're going to need your peeps. You're going to need your friends around you. You're going to need people of faith to support you through the hard times. Jesus took his friends along for the journey to spread what was his good news. Do you take yours? When was the last time you called up your buddies and said, you know what, let's go donate some food to such and such a place? It's going to be a blast. When was the last time you were out eating with your family and friends and said, you know what, let's ask our waitress if they have anything that we can pray for them about and share true life that way? When was the last time that happened? When was the last time you got your friends together and for no other reason, maybe in the hallways of O'Galley High School, just prayed? Freak some people out, right? When was the last time that happened? Not before the baseball games, not before something that matters. What about just because? I'm sure there's a lot of prayers going on right now for Villanova and UNC. I don't know if they're pointless or not, but, but possibly. 
go Villanova. Yeah, they destroyed Oklahoma, right? If you saw that, the final four last night. There's some prayers that a lot of people pray before things. What about just because? What about just because he's God and you want to talk to him? You see, if we want a transfiguration of our town, of Melbourne, if we want Jesus to make our communities completely different for his name's sake, then we have to bring our friends along for the journey. Jesus sent his disciples out two by two to all the towns he was about to go to just after this in chapter 10. And we are sent on mission for Christ since we know him, but we are not sent alone. This is why Paul spends a lot of time later talking about us being the body of Christ, and we each have different purposes, and we each have different places and functions and reasons that we exist together. This is why we're starting our spiritual gift study, so that you know, if you, if you, like, I like to get plugged in, but I don't know how, and I'd like to know what my spiritual gift is, but, but I don't know. That's why we're doing this, so you can get plugged in, because you are not meant to go on this faith journey alone. We are sent on mission for Christ, since we know Him. That's it. Congratulations, you accepted Him, now you signed up for the best blessing, the best roller coaster of your life. And we are not sent alone. Riding a roller coaster with some, by yourself, kind of fun, right? Wee! Well, you get those pictures at the end, and you're by yourself, you're like, oh, I kind of look lonely. Kind of look, no, no sad, no friends, no, ha, 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 you threw up. No, ha, 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 you wet your pants. None of that. Like, riding a roller coaster with friends, fun. Riding a roller coaster by yourself, lonely. See, if we desire revival in the hearts and the lives of, of ourselves and those around us, then we have to bring others along for the journey, and we get to watch God work. Popular thing these days, you guys like reality TV? Anybody? It's somewhat reality, right? Scripted reality TVs. But a lot of us, we especially like the ones that deal with health transformations. You know, there's my 600-pound life or, you know, a lot of this where people just lose a bunch of weight. Biggest Loser, that's a show, right, where people lose a lot, a lot of weight and then and they get healthy. We, so we like the health transformations. We also like the home renovations, right, the DIY stuff, the, the fixer-upper, you know, if you watch um, HGTV at all. And our culture has grown to love these types of shows, these shows will suck us in for hours, and we don't even realize it. We're like, what, what time is it? Oh, wow, I've seen 17 of these in a row. Um, these shows will suck us in for hours of waiting just to w- see that. What do we wait? We wait for those final moments, final moments of these shows, and it's always the what? The, the reveal. <sighs> Curtain goes up, or if you're um, into you know, fixer-upper, they, they part those two things. Oh, there's the new house. Finally, you get to see it all done and remodeled. Finally, you get to see the person who's lost all that weight. Now they've had a makeover, and they look way better than they did before. This is not the same person. This, no, it's the reveal. It's fantastic. And we sit around, and we love to wait for these before and after pictures, right? Before and after, before and after. And we keep going back and forth, before, after, before, after. And after enough of this, we actually begin to think that it's true for our faith as well. We just want to wait around do nothing for that one day to suddenly, magically, everything is different. Presto, it's new for for us to suddenly be unrecognizable to our friends, for our lives to suddenly look like those before and after pictures. Poof, overnight, before and after. You see, that's not the way God works in us. 
Jesus brought Peter, James, and John up to the mountain with him to illustrate a big point for us. You see, we want to wait for the reveal, but God wants us to be a part of the remodel. We want to stand back and wait for the reveal. God wants us to actually be a part of the remodel. True life change is not easy. It's not easy to stop bad habits and create new good ones. It's not easy to stop making bad choices and realize that what we need to do consistently is make good ones. It's not easy for someone to even walk through these doors, no matter if you've invited them 15 times. I'll share a story. We had someone here a few weeks ago that had been invited to this church 17 times. And she sat waiting out in her car for 20 minutes before this service started, crying, scared to come in because of how she's been treated at other churches. Scared. It's not easy for some people to even just walk through the doors to try to encounter Jesus. See, rather than be a part of this change that requires effort, we'd rather just wait it out to stand back from a distance, to not have to endure the hardships or the pain, that roller coaster or the trouble, and show up when everything is done, ta-da, for the reveal. Oh, it looks fantastic. What a difference. Oh, your life is suddenly different. Great. I hope that went well for you. What happened? Because I wasn't there for it. Before and after. But God has called us up on the mountain to be with Him, to be a part of what He is doing and what He is about. The easy way, the worldly way, is to avoid the trouble and just wait for the reveal. But God wants us to be a part of the remodel. God wants us to be present in the lives of others and in the life of this church, to remodel them for His purpose. We need to get our hands dirty for the gospel. We need to hold people's hands when they mess up. Again. Really? Again? Yeah. Hold people's hands when they mess up. Again. And forgive them and help them learn how to move forward. We need to cry with people who have lost loved ones that blame God for it. And explain that it's actually His love that in fact conquers that death. We need to embrace those who hate us, who call us bigots, who respond to a Facebook ad for our church a few weeks ago by calling us a hate cult who's never stepped foot in our building. We can pray for revival, for awakening here in Melbourne, but know that you are also invited to be a part of the process, to be a part of making it happen. You see, the reveal comes in God's time, but the remodel starts today. The reveal comes in His time, but we can start work now in the lives of those around us, in our families, with our friends, and in this community to help remodel your life for Jesus. Because the people who you know need to know the Jesus that you believe in. The last thing we'll pull out of this passage for today is also one of the funniest moments, I think, uh, that we can learn in the, in the Gospels from the disciples. And poor Peter, man, we beat up on Peter a lot. We always point Peter denied him three times and the rooster crowed right before he was crucified and Peter got out of the boat. He's like, oh, I'm drowning, help me. We, we pick on Peter a lot and this is another one of those times Peter's going to take one for the team for us so that we can learn from him. And it's found in Luke, again, the same passage. Luke, I'm going to highlight verse 9 or verse 33, sorry. So just to recap, you got Jesus and Moses and Elijah now all on top of that mountain after Jesus went up to pray. 
Now, as the men were leaving Jesus, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter kind of almost stopped and said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And again, in parentheses here, he did not know what he was saying. Even like Luke's like, he was great gray. What, what, was Peter, what was Peter thinking? See, Peter gets caught up in the moment. Peter gets caught up in the moment. He's like, you know what? Everything is going great. Um, I'm up here on the mountain with my friends, and Jesus is here, right? And so awesome. You're never going to believe this. So is this guy, Elijah. I've always heard about him, always wanted to meet him, but he's been dead for a really long time. But you know what? He's here, and Moses, Moses is here. He kind of like led the Israelites out of, out of Egypt. That was kind of cool. Always wanted his autograph. Moses is here, and Elijah is here, and Jesus is here, and my friends, my close little circle, the, the, the James and the John, they're here and we're all up on this mountain and it's great. There is no one here to distract us. It's like the special like disciple elite and I feel kind of like the cool kids. You feel like the cool kids up on top of the mountain? And aren't the other disciples, man, they're going to get, they're going to be so jealous. OMG. When we go down off this mountaintop and I tell them what has happened and I said, I got to look at, look at Moses' autograph, you know, and, and, and Elijah signed my forehead. This was so cool. We were up there in a cloud. They are going to be so jealous. They are not going to believe this. So I have to get some proof here. Um, you know what, Jesus, this is going to be so well right now. This is so fantastic. Can we just pause? I know they're getting ready to leave. Can we, can we just hold on for a minute? Boop, put a pause, pin in it. And can, you know what, this is going so well. Um, let's just stay here. Yeah. Who, who, you, you can feed 5,000. You got all, Jesus, man, you proof make break bread. We never have to go down off this mountain again. I can just live here and we can stay up here on top of this mountain with you and Jesus, with James and with John and with Moses and Elijah in this cloud. And it's really kind of cool. And we never have to leave. Who says we have to go down the mountain? Let's just stay here. Let's just stay here. And you know what? I want you to stay here so bad. I'll build you a house. I'll build you a house, Jesus, and I'll build you a house, Moses, and I'll build you a house, Elijah, and, and we could just stay up here. You can have your own house, and we could just camp out on top of this mountain, and instead of having to walk, you know what? We've been doing this all wrong, Jesus. Instead of, we've been going town to town and walking around and doing miracles. Let's build a fortress, boo, 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 a magical Disneyland of healing, and let's make everyone come to us. We don't have to go to them. Let's stay up here on top of this mountain, and we can camp out, and we can have our houses, and you can make all the food, and it will be comfortable, and it's going to be convenient, and, and, and it's going to be fantastic, and the museums can hold Moses and Elijah because they're kind of old, and maybe they don't look so good. Let's just stay here. And as he's finishing saying this, this cloud comes out of nowhere and surrounds them, probably so thick that they can't see, and suddenly they're afraid. And in this cloud, a voice comes out that simply says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Why would they say listen to him? So far as we know, Jesus hasn't said anything. We have to go back to the earlier passage. Why did Jesus say this? And suddenly... Just as it appeared, the cloud disappears, and Moses and Elijah are gone, and I'm sure Peter's kind of suddenly disappointed, and so Peter and James and John and Jesus, the four of them are now left on this mountain, and the disciples must have been thinking, yeah, that didn't go the way we thought it would, let's just not tell anyone this happened. You see, Peter wanted to stop and build these shelters for Jesus and Elijah and Moses. He wanted to pause and rest on his laurels. He wanted to set up camp and stop moving forward. He wanted to make Jesus a building. 
instead of a relationship. He wanted to make Jesus into a building instead of a relationship. Now, we as disciples today, we are not called to stop. We are called to go. Our renovations might be just about done here at True Life Church, and it will be very easy for us to be deceived that we can now stop. Ah, whew, doesn't that feel nice? Air conditioning, lights, little stage, barn door. That's a barn door in case you don't know, okay? (laughs) We could not be more wrong. Now is the time to go, not stop. I hope we don't fall into a category that I think so many other churches across America have. They've built massive state-of-the-art complexes with satellites live-streaming video of pastor sermons to multiple campuses. Churches have added stadium seating and their own coffee shops and bookstores. Churches have amazing lighting effects and haze and lasers. Lasers. Not with sharks, just lasers. And while some of those things have their time and have their place, I can't honestly say that each church I personally know is pursuing Jesus instead of those things. You see, in an effort to try to make Jesus popular, we've lost his purpose. And in an effort to make Jesus mainstream, we've lost his mission. Churches across America have pulled a Peter. They said, hey, things are going so great here. Look at what we've built. We are on top of this mountain. And hey, Jesus is here. You know what? Let's just settle into this place and let's get comfortable. And in doing so, they have made the church their end game, their discipleship destination. The mentality has become, let's just get them in church. That'll solve their problems. Let's just get them in church and see how cool it is with our lights, how refreshing it is with our modern decor, how chill it is with our coffee shop, how relatable it is with our bookstore and our worship band's own produced album, how inspirational it is with our motivational speakers' non-biblical messages. Let's just get them into church. Many churches have pulled a Peter. They have made Jesus into a building instead of a relationship. And they think, oh, if we could just get people in here, when instead they should be thinking, oh, if we could just get Jesus out there. See, church isn't the end game. It's not the destination. For us who know him, it's, our just, it's a resupply depot. It's not the source of the water. It's just a watering hole. It's a place we just stop at and then keep going. This is a place that is fantastic to come to, to join others in worshiping our Savior King to share what is going on in our lives and to learn about His Word. But you know what? This is not our destination. This is our final point today. Don't stop. Go. This building might feel nice now, but you know what? It's time to go. It might seem like a time when everything is going well in your life and your faith and you just want to stop doing ministry and build a shelter to pull a Peter and take a break, but you know what? Don't stop. Go. You might think that you have your life together and you, want, you don't want to upset that you know, by taking a risk for God. You know what? Don't stop. Go. You might think that you finally achieved the ability to have your friends like you. Yes. And you're hesitant to mess that up by being outspoken for your faith. You know what? Especially young people, don't stop. Go. Don't shut up about what you believe. 
Because if your friends know you and they don't know you know Jesus, I'll just leave that open-ended. Reflecting on what Jesus told his disciples before the transfiguration, what good is it? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? Finishing this building for us is not a time to stop doing for God. It's just change the location where our doing should happen. Like Peter, we cannot get so caught up on being on a mountain with Jesus that we're actually not paying attention to what he's saying. Later in Luke chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, and I'll just read these very quickly. Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, he says. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. In other words, you're going to be identifiable. Sometimes you're going to feel like prey. Not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. But he sends us the same. Go. We are sent. The resurrection we've experienced in here can become revival for the world out there. That's why we're starting this series, because it is time for an awakening, because Easter is not over. It's an awakening of our hearts to the call He has for us, an awakening of our church to live out the purpose He has given us, to share true life through Jesus Christ. It's an awakening of our community to know Jesus in a real way. It's an awakening of our nation to be reminded of what it has printed on its currency in God we trust. An awakening across the globe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That awakening, that revival is here and it's now. It starts with you and with me. Jesus said that if anyone would come after me, if we're going to follow him, If we're going to live up to what we say we believe, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, for me, will save it. Today is a day to start owning your faith, to take a stand with me, and let's really, truly share true life through Jesus Christ in our world. By all means, invite them here to church. That's a great place for you to start, not for them. But get in the habit of meeting your friends, your families, your coworkers, your fellow students, where they are, no church building required. Break down unseen barriers and speak about your faith unashamed. Stop worrying about what others may think of you and just pray with them. Stop being embarrassed about the Jesus you say you know and start passionately inviting others into the relationship you share. Jesus changed the world with 12 people. 12. And his power is no less present today than it was then, right? So why do we act like the time of Jesus is long ago in the past? It's not. The time of Jesus is now. In Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 14, the passage from that video says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. It is time for an awakening, because the subtitle of this message, Revival, is here. Let's pray.